Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter number 5, which is where we've been starting and continuing our sermon series on hindered prayers. And actually, this is going to be the conclusion of it this morning, although we're going to continue to talk about prayer. We started out in this, this series talking about, as Paul wrote to the Galatian church, some of the problems that they were having, and they had had false doctrine uh, sneak into them, if you will, and they had gotten distracted by different things. And Paul writes, he said, you did run well. And we see a picture of where they were on the right track doing the right things, and yet something happened. He says, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Paul here is highlighting the problem that they were in the right place, and then they ended up in the wrong place. And they had been hindered in their walk with Christ and in doing the right things. And we began to look at things that hinder us and things that hinder our prayer life, if you will. And we began by talking about giving and tithing. And I share that I have not preached very many tithing messages in, in all of my ministry as I've been able to share things. Um, and yet it's important. It's something that God has called us to do. And if we don't do those things, that can lead to us being hindered because we're not truly honoring, trusting, and following the Lord as He has called. We then looked at the little things that oftentimes trip us up, the little foxes that spoil the vines. We're often wary of the big things. We watch out for the great big things in life, and we're like, don't do this. Don't go here. Be careful. You know, watch out, watch out, watch out. But oftentimes it's the little things that seem to sneak up on us. It's the little things that we tend not to pay much attention to that can truly destroy an effective prayer life and even an effective relationship with Jesus Christ. And we talked about gossiping, grudges, and things that you might Google on the Internet. And we talked about a little bit about pornography as we went through that. And then last week in the early service, which we didn't share that because we had a singing here uh, in the second service, but we discussed doubt and how doubt can be a hindrance to our prayer because oftentimes we fail to seek, we fail to ask, and oftentimes we just never find what we're looking for because we don't truly have great faith as we go forward. This morning, we're going to look at the last one and the verse that often comes to mind when you think about hindered prayers because it's the verse that says, Do this so your prayers be not hindered. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter number 3. And verse number 7, it says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, talking about your wives, according to knowledge, given honor unto the wife. I think a lot of times that's something that husbands truly fail to do today in our world. We fail to truly honor our wives and our families. And yet that's what we are called to do. And Peter here reminds them, it says, Giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. He's reminding them, in a sense, to be in unity, to honor one another, but to be in unity. And one of the Barnes writes, a commentator from way back when, if you will, says this, The reason here assigned for the honor that was to be shown to the wife is that she is the weaker vessel. By this, it is not meant that she is of feebler capacity or inferior mental endowments, but that she is more tender and delicate. In many ways... The wife may be superior to her husband. Yet, the Bible reminds us to be in subjection one to another, that your prayers be not hindered. I thought I had wrote something else down there and I couldn't find it. It says the wife may be superior 
to her husband. And we've all known wives that have great, great moral fortitude, if you will. Great faithfulness. Great prayer lives. Sometimes it's the wives that are the foundation of many, many churches. That uh, Christ is always the foundation. But it is the wives that, that keep so many churches going forward. And yet He calls us to be in unity. He calls us to be together. He calls us to be one. That our prayers be not hindered. Now, I want to go ahead and share this because we're all probably thinking this. And this is not a surprise to anyone. A family that does not have everyone on the same page spiritually is hindered. A family that does not have everything going in the same direction is oftentimes struggling. If a husband and a wife disagree how to spend money, guess what? You're going to be hindered. If a husband and a wife disagree about how to raise children, me and my wife, uh, we had a pretty even idea about how we should raise children, but I wanted to be the fun one, and I wanted her to be the mean one. I wanted to be the one that did all the fun stuff, and I wanted her to give out all the punishment. I wanted to be the one that Autumn wanted to come running to so we could have a good time and go, yay, daddy's home. And over there's mom. She didn't agree with that. And just in case you're wondering, it didn't turn out anything like that. It turned out just the opposite to my chagrin, I guess you might say. And yet if a family doesn't agree about how to raise the children, it can be a hindrance to their prayer life. I mentioned in the earlier service that even things as mundane as the chores in the house, my wife thinks I ought to do more in the house. If I do, I'll go ahead and tell this on myself. If I do one thing in the house, I feel like a celebrity. If I do something, I want her to know that I did it too. I was like, is that you too, Keith? And I look at you shaking your head. If I do one thing good, I'm like, look, Alana, at what I did. She's not here, by the way, this morning, so I can talk about her all I want to. I say, look what I did. I want the praise for that. I want her to notice that. And yet, it's still my job to help there too. And sometimes something as simple as the chores... Sometimes something as simple as just the attitude that we have. If we are not in agreement about what God has called us to do, you'll find a family that's often hindered from being what God has truly called them to be. It should come as a surprise to no one here that a family in turmoil is not often a happy family. A family going through struggles and trials. When you think about divorce and addictions and infidelity, both physically and of the heart. You can see where there are struggles there. There are heartaches there. And it's a family that's hindered in their walk as they go forward. These always serve not only to damage the family and the relationships here at least for a short time, but they always hinder our prayer relationship with Christ. And the truth of the matter is this. We often get distracted. We often get discouraged we often even get defeated feeling at the very least. When we look around and we see the problems and the struggles, sometimes within our own family, it's hard to focus on anything else but the problems, isn't it? It's hard to focus on anything else but the struggles. Because our focus is not on God where it should be. Our focus is on what in the world am I going to do now? How in the world am I going to fix this? How am I going to make it through the day? We're not often thinking about Jesus Christ and what He's called us to do. It's more like, oh Lord, just help me get through another day. Oh Lord, just help me get through another struggle. Oh Lord, just help me to, to get through this discouragement that's coming my way. And yet, I also want to say this. Because as a Christian, 
Even though maybe the world around us is falling apart. Maybe sometimes our family is crumbling around us. Maybe sometimes we're having struggles and trials and difficulties and things that we just don't understand. And we don't know why. And we don't understand why. It is still our honor. Our honor to be able to pray for our family in times of great need. As Christians, even though everything can often be a mess around us, it is still our responsibility to pray for those that God has placed in our life. And not just in our life, but in a close part of our life. Even though maybe our family's a mess and we feel hindered in a great, great way. I wrote these two words down because I want you to hear it. It's still our treasured opportunity. Treasured opportunity to be able to get down on our knees and pray before an almighty God that the Lord will intervene on their behalf. To stand in the gap for them as they struggle and as they go through hard times. The truth is this. When we look around, we see troubles and trials and difficulties. It's hard to focus on God sometimes. Yet the Lord has called us to unity. He has called us to be together as, as families. He's called us to be unhindered by distractions and discouragements and defeats. And yet, if we were all honest, we'd say, Chris, that sounds great. Amen, praise the Lord, preacher, go get them. And oftentimes we find ourselves already hindered. We find ourselves already struggling. We find ourselves already sometimes feeling defeated, sometimes not knowing where to turn, sometimes not knowing what to do, even though up here we know exactly what to do. Pray, pray, pray through. Yet sometimes right here, I don't know, Lord, what to do. Lord, I can't seem to get my mind off of the problem right in front of me, let alone to do the things that you've called me to do. The question is not if we're hindered. It's how do we handle those hindrances? How do we go forward? How do we push forward? Now, I told you my wife's not here, so I'm going to tell this story. I, I don't know if I'd have told it if she was here or not. It's not bad, so don't, don't go home and tell her, though. A couple of weeks ago, maybe even a couple of months ago, we were going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we've looked at several different things about marriage, and we've looked at some of the problems in the church. And one of the things that Paul was writing to the Corinthian church that we've been studying on Sunday night, he was like, it was good not to be married. It was good to be married, and it was good not to be married. It was fine either way, basically was the point. But he made the comment that if you are married that you would have things that would hinder you in this life because your affections would be towards your family. It would be towards your wife. So I shared that story. I shared the verse there and different things. Then I also shared, I think the same night, that when my wife and I first married, she was not a Christian. And so I, I shared some stories about that. She was a good girl, and, and she went to church with me, and she went to church some before. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Being a good girl doesn't make you a Christian. And she had never accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And I told about the Lord, I felt like the Lord calling me to take a church except everything in my household wasn't right. And so I had to wait until she accepted the Lord. But I felt pretty good about the story. I was like, well, I've, I've shared that. You know, I, I think I got the point across. We got home that night and she looked at me and she said, so, I'm a heathen distraction to you. 
Yeah, that was the word she used when I got home. So, Chris, I'm a heathen distraction to you. Yeah, but I love you, honey. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember my words out of my mouth, but that was the impression that she got. I don't want to leave that negative impression with you. And yet God has called us as not only Christians, but as families to be focused upon Christ. Verse number eight, as Peter writes on, he shares something to kind of help us understand what that looks like. He says, finally... Be ye all, not just families, but all of us as the people of God, but especially families. Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Now, oftentimes pitiful kind of has a negative connotation to it, but pitiful here means either strong-hearted or tender-hearted. Well, there's kind of a little bit of disagreement about exactly what that word means, but think about someone who's very caring, who's very concerned about others around them. It tells us to be courteous. I've noticed that oftentimes we treat the people the closest to us, sometimes the worst, because we take them for granted. We get used to seeing them there. Oftentimes, me and my wife, when we first started pastoring a church, we would drive about 20, 25 minutes to our church. And we had a little kid at home, and it was a chore for us to get out of, to get out of the house on time on Sunday mornings. I've even sat out in the car. Fellers, do not do this. I have sat out in the car, be waiting on her, and blew the horn to see if I could get her to hurry up and come on. Yeah, no, that's not a good idea. By the time we got to church, sometimes we were so frazzled we didn't feel like worshiping the Lord. And Lord, I have said this to my family, get your happy church face on, we're here. Anybody else ever thought that? We're here, get your church face on. We know how to look when we get out somewhere, and yet oftentimes the people in our own family, we take them for granted and we don't care what we say sometimes. We don't care how it comes out sometimes. We don't care, you know, how it sounds sometimes. Yet we're called to be courteous. We're called to be loving. We're called to be kind. And yet sometimes we're in that box of struggling, of hindered. And so the question is not, are we hindered? But how do we overcome that? This morning I want to bring your attention to three different things. And they're very simple things in some ways. And yet sometimes they can be hard to do. But they are opportunities for us to shine a light to our families. There are opportunities for us to reach out to those that God has placed in our care and closest to us. And the first one is having the right attitude. Now, when I think about an attitude, the first thing I think of is a, maybe a sassy little three-year-old or two-year-old or whatever like that. I think about some people I see on television like, oh, no, you didn't. I think of that kind of attitude. And yet, the one that comes to mind in a greater way is in Galatians chapter number 5. This is not really an attitude in the sense that we think about, but it helps guide us in what, what our attitudes ought to be. It says the fruit of the Spirit, meaning it not, didn't say fruits. That's an old church of God that you, you've heard your whole life. But it says the fruit, we should have all of these things here, is love. Church, do we have an attitude of love with our family? Do we have an attitude of joy? Do we have an attitude of peace? Do we have an attitude of long-suffering? What about a gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance? Against such there is no law. In a sense, we are to look like that. 
We are to look like Christ. We are to look like the fruit of the Spirit. That's the kind of attitude that we're called to have. That's the kind of attitude that He's told us we need to look like and we need to be, not just for our family, but for the world around us. I've shared with you that when I get to Walmart and I get behind the steering wheel of a cart, I turn into something else. I would love to run over half the people at Walmart sometimes. I really would. I get frustrated when I check myself out sometimes at Kroger. The other day, the lady was trying to help me check out this, the, the self-checkout deal. That thing beeped and squawked at me more than anything I've ever operated in my life. And I told her, I said, it's a wonder people don't just scream in here and leave. And she just walked off. And she didn't even smile. She didn't look at me again. That was it. Both of us were frustrated. It's hard sometimes, though, to look like a Christian everywhere we go. And yet, that's exactly what we're called to do. That's exactly where we need to, to see it and need to have it the most. We need to have the right attitude because people are watching, people are listening. How do we respond to when people do us wrong? How do we respond to our trials? Be Christ-centered as we live in this world and deal with those around us. The second thing that if we find ourselves hindered, how do we help that? We need to become people of action. It's not just enough to talk about doing the right thing. It's not just enough to know about the right thing. We need to be people of action who do the right thing. Do we show our family that Christ is worth the trouble? Do I show our family that coming to church is worth the trouble? I had a pastor of mine years ago who, who made a comment. He's like, if you love the Lord, you ought to show your family by coming to church every time and show them that it's important. Show them that it's worth, that the fellowship that we have here together is a priority in your life. They ought to see, they ought to know where you're at on Sunday morning because it's church time. I had a person in my family one time who invited a friend to church. That person came twice and the family member missed both times. So they came to, to be because they were invited by somebody and when they got there, the person that invited them wasn't there. What kind of testimony does that leave? I thought you said this was your church. I thought you said you loved it out there. I don't see you. You weren't there. I didn't, I didn't get the opportunity to sit with you. It is important. In Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse number 25, it says this. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. In other words, be people of action. Come to church together. Not just so we can count you on a number somewhere. Not just so we can take up an offering. But because we need that fellowship together. We're gathered here as the people of God to worship Almighty God and to be filled up and to be encouraged and to be helped. That's an action thing. It's not just a, yeah, I, I cannot tell you how many times I go visit people and they say, preacher, I know I need to be in church. I don't even have to bring it up. They know they need to be in the house of God. They know the benefits of that. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another encouraging one another, admonishing one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. It's not just things like that. It can be the small things. It can be a small saying, grace, before you eat a meal. People watch. People see. It's been years ago, but Alana and I had a prayer in a restaurant one time when Autumn was very, very small. And when I opened my eyes and looked up, there were two older people pointing at us. And talking about us, and I think they were encouraged. I'm, I'm going with they were really encouraged. But they noticed. I heard a joke one time, a story, 
about a little boy who went to visit a home of a friend. And in this home, they always prayed at their meals every single time. And so as the family sat down, they were all waiting till they could pray together. The little boy sat down. He just started eating. And the, the mother said, uh, little Johnny, whatever his name was, says, don't you all pray at your house every week? He said, no, we don't have to. My mom knows how to cook. <laughs> you see, sometimes it's not just for protection from the food. It's honoring the Lord. It's praising Him. It's lifting up His name. It's being a godly example to those around us. And sometimes it's the smallest of things that allow us to truly make the biggest of impressions. I can give the Lord an hour on a Sunday morning. It'd be better if you gave Him two, but I can give Him one. I can take a few moments to bow my head in prayer and say, Lord, thank you for this food. I've often shared that we like to ask Autumn to pray because she's the shortest prayer of all of us. So if you're hungry, you ask Autumn. You know what? Maybe that's not the right heart to do it, but at least we're doing it. And at least she sees that that's important and that's something of value. And we've grown up doing that. The bottom line is this. We need to live out our commitment. Live it out for our family to see that they may glorify our Father which is in heaven. And the last thing, and perhaps one that might be the most difficult it's related to our attitude, but we also need to be very careful in using our opportunity by rising to the right altitude. You see that? We had three A words this morning. A couple weeks ago, we had three G words. Everybody remembered them. This week, I want you to remember attitude. I want you to remember action. And I want you to remember altitude, which is kind of an odd word to use in church. You think about flying an airplane or something like that. But I want you to think about being in a high place. 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse 9 says this. Not rendering evil for evil. That doesn't sound like a worldly advice, does it? The world says, I want to get somebody back. The world says, I'm going to get what's mine. The world says, fill in the blank. And yet Christ says something different. He says, rise above all of those things. He said, not rendering evil for evil, not railing for railing. Oftentimes we get in an argument or a fight, we just want to scream louder, don't we? We want to see who can, who can get the, the best punch in. I'm one of these people that when I have an argument with somebody, my best comebacks come two hours later at home. Amen? Like, man, I wished I'd have said this. I wished I'd have said that. And I ought to be saying, thank you, Lord, for helping me keep my mouth shut because that wouldn't have been the godly thing to do. We need to rise. And the question I might ask us is, do we rise above? God has called us to great things. Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse 6 says this, And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That sounds like an altitude to me. That sounds like a place, a, a wonderful place as we serve with Him together. And yet the truth is this, do we rise above? I want to ask that question. Do we rise above all the distractions and all the different things around us? And do we look like Christ? Do we rise above selfishness? <sighs> now you're just meddling, preacher. 
Do we rise above unneeded anger? Sometimes I wish the church had a little more righteous anger. I wish sin upset us more in this world. I'll be honest with you. And yet sometimes we just hold on to things we ought not to. Sometimes we just get mad for being mad's sake. Sometimes we just got a bad attitude. Do we rise up above that? Do people see Christ in the way that we live and the things that we do? Do we rise up above the distractions and the discouragements and oftentimes the despair that is so prevalent in this world around us? It's easy to talk about, but it's hard to do. The truth is, though, we can do it through Jesus Christ. And when I hear all that, I think, preacher, that sounds great. I do want to do that. I want to be someone with the right attitude. I want to be somebody that's a, a person of action. And I want the world to see Christ in me as I rise to an altitude, if you will, of, of sitting together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. But I've failed a lot of times. I feel like I've let God down in so many ways. I tried to run over somebody this week with a cart at Walmart. That's a failure. But failure is not fatal. Failing doesn't mean we just stop and give up. It means we repent and move forward. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I failed. Lord, I haven't done what you've called me to do. But I want to start today. I want to start now. And I want to start in my home. I want to start in my home with the people that you've placed in my life. Peter was telling them, don't let your prayers be hindered when your family's not praying together. Joshua 24, 15, a very familiar passage of Scripture that we've all heard time and time again. Matter of fact, when I was a kid, my grandparents had it on their door, part of this verse. I actually thought it was a lot shorter verse growing up because they just had the first part and the last part. And yet... As Joshua was speaking to the children of Israel, he asked them a question. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. In other words, if you don't like it, if you don't want to do that, choose you this day whom you will serve. He brought a choice before them now. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then he says something very important. Because he realizes, just like I do, there's a lot of things in this world I can't control. There's a lot of things in this world I can't fix. There's a lot of places in this world that I have no influence in whatsoever. There are things that go on that might infuriate me. And I just have to go home and like it. Because there's nothing I can do to fix it. There are people around me that I, I, you get disappointed in. You wish they'd do better. You wish they would rise up. You wish they would whatever. But he says this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know what? We might have failed in a lot of ways, but we don't have to live in that failure. We can come to Jesus Christ, find forgiveness, find encouragement, find strength, find the right attitude, find the right actions, and find the right altitude with him. Because here's the truth, church, as we get ready to get a song of invitation. You have the greatest influence on your family. 
I would love to come and talk to your family. And if I come, I'll probably stay 20, 30 minutes. And, and we might talk about the weather. And we'll talk about how things are doing. We might even talk about the Lord. And then we'll have prayer when we get done. And then it'll be a month before I come back. But you're going to be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're going to be in contact with them. You're going to have influence with them. You have the greatest opportunity. You have the greatest influence. You have the greatest chance. And yet you also have the greatest challenge. You have the greatest challenge, and I understand that. It's hardest sometimes to talk to our family, to talk to our friends. Yet the Bible says don't be weary in well-doing. Don't be weary. You know what? I can't come to your house and be there all the time. And neither can all the people around you. But we can pray for you. We can pray together as a people of God. Oftentimes we pray for somebody till they get saved and we're like, oh, praise the Lord. Got that taken care of. And yet sometimes some of the greatest challenges come after they accept Christ. They need to be undergirded and strengthened. They need to be encouraged. They need us to be into their life. They need us to be praying for them. I told you, if I'm sick or I've got a need, I want you to pray for me. I'll take one of you, but I'd rather have all of you. I'd rather have as many as I possibly could. When was the last time we prayed for those around us? When was the last time we reached out to our own family? Maybe you're here this morning. You don't have Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. There's a lot of people have been praying for you. There's a lot of people that love you. There's a lot of people that would, the best thing in their life, the best thing would be to see you come and accept Jesus Christ, to serve and follow him faithfully. As we get a song of invitation, if you have a need this morning, if you have a burden, whatever God's laid on your heart, let's bring it to him. I don't want there to be any hindrance. Sometimes I just have to pray, Lord, take away everything that's hindering me. Let me focus on you as we get a verse of song.